Hello and welcome to Searching for the Question Live. Uh, my name is uh, David Orban and I am very happy to have uh, you all following the show on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, everywhere we are uh, streaming. Since this is live, you can also comment and make remarks or ask questions. Uh, and if what you say is relevant, as I am sure it is going to be, I will be able to pull it in and uh, me and my guest are going to be able to comment on it and uh, answer your questions. Uh, today's topic is uh, very important. It is um, potentially one of the most important uh, things we have to get right over the course of the next uh, few years. Uh, human civilization has achieved amazing uh, results uh, 10,000 years ago. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't have thought uh, that what we can do today uh, could be possible. They would have uh, very uh, rationally concluded that we are uh, wizards and mages and witches uh, or demigods. Technology has been able to uh, allow us to do what we do, but at the basis of that is not only knowledge about the world, but a certain configuration of the world, in particular, that we know how to use and deploy usefully energy that uh, enables individuals, corporations, and society at large to not only dream about what we want to do, but actually go out and do it. Without that kind of energy uh, availability, we wouldn't be able to do it. However, uh, even though the 20th uh, century has been uh, empowered by the availability of oil, the 21st cannot and must not. The 21st century must be characterized by a new basis for human civilization uh, to be born and to be reborn. Uh, one of the uh, people all over the world who are articulating and analyzing and teaching and, and uh, popularizing this uh, better than, than, than many uh, and, and as well as uh, just very few uh, is uh, uh, Tony Seba. And uh, I am really happy to have uh, Tony here with us uh, today. Welcome to Searching for the Question Thank you, Live. David. It's my pleasure. So, uh, Tony, um, you uh, are uh, talking to us uh, from uh, California, from San Francisco. Uh, how are you coping uh, with uh, this um, craziness that is going on all over the world? But let me tell you, the rest of the world is looking at America once again as an exceptional country, in this case, exceptionally crazy. <laughs> I wonder why. Um, yes, I'm, 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 I'm coping fine. Um, you know, I'm, uh, as, as, as you mentioned, I just published Rethinking Humanity. Seven months ago or so, I published, uh, you know, Rethinking Food and, and, and Agriculture. So I've taken this time. I actually, my lockdown started maybe two years ago. Uh, oh. You know, and I actually, I haven't talked about this publicly, but 
you know, I mean, I was doing 20,000 miles of travel every month um, until about two years ago. I had a, you know, health crisis. Um, and, you know, basically I've been in lockdown. I mean, for a year, I went in and out of surgeries and so on and so forth. Um, and, you know, it took me a while to recover. And as soon as I was ready to to go back out, um, yeah, basically COVID hit. So, um yeah, I mean, I you know, I've been in lockdown for a couple of years, if you will. That, that is that is uh, very very interesting, and I'm very happy to hear that you are better. Thank uh, you. And uh, and uh, as I was uh, uh, googling you, you know that Google um, uh, suggests search items, and when you do it yourself, sometimes those same items don't come up because your results are skewed by your own search history. So I don't know if you know, but people around the world were wondering. One of the search terms that I didn't know why was there, and I was wondering whether I should even bring it up, and I decided myself that I wouldn't. One of the search terms is, what happened to Tony Seba? <laughs> So, 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 yeah. so people realized something was going on, yeah, and and it was concerning your health. Now yeah. you are good, and we are all very happy to hear that. Thank you, thank you, and I'm and, actually and, glad to hear that people were wondering, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And and and, and Alex Lightman is sending uh, his regards, and and uh, unfortunately, I don't uh, read uh, Hebrew, uh, but. Uh, um, some some people are saying hello on the channel to each other following uh, our show. So we we have a, a community forming. Uh, as as a community, you know, this is really a global community. I have uh, people uh, coming on the show from all over. Uh, I am uh, in Bergamo, which uh, nobody knew uh, about, uh, uh, but uh, now is kind of infamous as uh, uh, the former epicenter of the pandemic. And I uh, love to show uh, how uh, my guests uh, are uh, all over the world. So uh, let's fly to San Francisco, which is your, your place, literally on the other side of the planet. There you go. Beautiful San Francisco. I, I don't know when I'm going to be able to go back, but I really want to go. Um, one of the favorite... Uh, Museums uh, of mine is uh, SF MoMA, yes, uh, which has been uh, renovated uh, not too long ago, and it should be right here. Uh, maybe not. Okay, doesn't matter. Let's go back. <laughs> yeah, enough, enough playing around. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, you you have an MBA. And yes. and I'm not gonna hold it against you. A lot of people do, and 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 they can be successful regardless. Um, and and joking aside, uh, another um, fantastic analyst of disruptions, of course, uh, Clay Christensen, who passed away recently, uh, also was eager to understand and then to to teach through his books, like you are doing. With your books, what are the patterns and what are the um, unexpected, but once you recognize necessary changes yeah. that we can learn from? How did you 
how did you arrive to that? Uh, where, where, where did you start to get to the place where you are now? Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly a non-linear path uh, for sure. And and you mentioned MBA, and you know, my my undergrad uh, at MIT was in computer science, mm-hmm. so I worked in software engineering. Uh, you know, and this this is ages ago in in internet in internet time, right? Um, I worked in AI, what was then called AI. Um, oh. you know, in the- uh, top-down expert systems and Prog yes. uh, and Lisp and those and kinds of things, that, right? And you know that that's like many ages ago in AI time. Um, and you know, working as a software engineer, of course, you have a certain view of the world, and then hardware and and so on. And yeah, I did. I, I lived in Boston at the time, um, and then I moved here to the Bay Area to go to Stanford for my MBA. Um, and uh, while in business school, I started working. Now we're talking about 93, 1993. Um, I started working in a then little company called Cisco Systems. Um, and, and that's pretty early um, in, in you know, the internet world and so on. Um, and they actually asked me to do a projection at Cisco of, of sales, of revenues. Um, which at the time was hard to project. Um, and I did a lot of digging and so on. Um, and I, you know, essentially uh, discovered this thing called the internet. And, you know, we had no web really at the time, um, which was growing super exponentially. Um, and, and the cost of communication was going down exponentially, the cost of computing and so on. So I started putting, you know, those threads together at the time um, to make a sort of accurate um, prediction within uh, Cisco systems, um, and and um, which turned out to be pretty good. Um, and and so, you know, I, I I then joined another company startup at the time called uh, RSA, um, cryptography. Right. I mean, that was the, the the old crypto before, you know, we have the new crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, we we essentially uh, put our cryptography in um, the Internet. It, it became part of the, the, the Internet itself. We did a deal with a tiny company at the time called Netscape, um, which turned out to be pretty huge. And, and so we became the standard right in cryptography on the Internet. Um, then I started a dot com that we're talking late 90s, a business to business dot com and, and so on. And I, you know, I was the CEO and co-founder and, and so on and so forth and rode uh, the ups and the downs of, of the then, you know, NASDAQ, um, you know, up and then, and then crash. After that, um, I decided that I wanted to take a couple of years off to do some of the things that basically I've been wanting to do for a while, um, such as writing a book, such as teaching, right? So, so such as doing social innovation and so on. Um, and, you know, I thought I would take two years off and here we are 15 years later, right? I mean, I, you know, it turns out that I love to teach. I love to, to, to understand things uh, within entrepreneurship. I mean, I love, you know, technology and so on. And one thing led to another. And I started studying technology disruption um, because even at the time, uh, you know, technology disruption was a great conceptual 
uh, uh, model, but it did not explain all technology disruptions. Um, and, and, and even at the time, th there was no model to understand, for instance, um, why the smartphone was disruptive uh, or, and, and so on. So I created new, a new framework and that, well, that's what I wanted to do to understand all types of technology disruption. Um, and then I coined the idea of disruption from above, which, which explains Tesla, for instance, which explains EVs, which explains smartphones and so on, disruption from the edge and so on. Um, so I wanted to understand disruption and be able to predict, not just in hindsight, which is interesting, but also can we predict disruptions? And if so, how? Um, and essentially that's what I've been working on for the last 10, 15 years. And, and it is always uh, wonderful when uh, someone is able to say, hey, I meandered a bit, but uh, I really feel that what I'm doing now is what I love to be doing. Uh, and uh, and uh, so congrats uh, for that. It, it by, by itself, uh, it can be uh, the live goal for so many people because too many are content in doing day in, day out things they actually don't like to do. Uh, and and they are not even sure what is it that they would like to do, but they don't uh, they don't believe that they can afford the risk of searching for for that other thing. Yes. So yes. so so that is uh, that is wonderful. Yes. And let, let's come back to that, David, later when when we talk about you know the age of freedom, right? Uh, but 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 um, but yeah, I mean I'm totally in agreement. Very good. Very good. Let's make sure yeah. that we go back to that. But uh, yeah. uh, uh, first, uh, uh, was it for you uh, natural to look at energy and uh, the uh, shift towards clean energy um, was? Did you realize early how fundamental that uh, that was, or or how how did you concentrate on that? Yeah, um, good question. And, and again, it was not linear, right? I mean, I, I was teaching and I teach entrepreneurs and executives um, and, you know, many of them. Uh, and, it, you know, it's a wonderful kind of uh, feeling to teach things that work, right? It's not just, you know, conceptual frameworks, but entrepreneurs need things that work, right? That work today and tomorrow. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, it, 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 Many of them come back to me and, and, and ask for help, whether it's guidance or c connecting them with investors and so on. So there was this um, entrepreneur who said, you know, I started a solar company. Um, can you review my business plan? I need help, right? Um, and this is probably 12 years ago. Um, and, 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 you know, one he, was thing, in, he was in for a long slog. Yes. Yes. And he said, look, I, I, I think I found a way to cut the cost of solar by 40%. And I thought to myself, if all I do in life is cut the cost of solar by 40%, that will have an incredibly huge impact for humanity. Um, so I, I, you know, I did, um, help him, um, and the end result of that was that I wrote, uh, was for me a learning experience, not just, uh, which is what I find fascinating uh, in this process, that, you know, teaching is also about learning. It's mostly about learning, actually, and about exploration and, and discovery. Um, 
So the end result of that was a book called Solar Trillions, which I wrote 10 years ago. Um, that was my exploration into energy um, and into the future of energy and, and so, so on. So, so does that mean that uh, now we are talking about solar quadrillions? <laughs> Probably, but at the time, I mean, this is just 10 years ago, but you know, the, the Brilliant was a big number then, right? Yeah, I mean, even in the industry, especially in the industry, you know, in the solar industry, folks were saying like, you know, uh, what are you smoking, right? I mean, this is not a trillion dollar industry, uh, you know, not anytime soon. And, you know, I said things like, you know, when I do the cost curve of solar, um, you know, solar is going to be at three and a half cents by 2020. And, and, you know, that idea was insane at the time. We're only talking 10 years ago, right? Um, but so your question was, you know, was it, uh, you know, inevitable that I would do this? Not at all. I mean, it started as me helping somebody, lending a hand. And actually, I was the one who, in the end, uh, benefited the most from that relationship. I mean, I did help them. Um, but, you know, basically, it got me in this path toward you know energy yeah and 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 uh, the best teachers are able to do what you do what you did in terms of uh, um, turning a potential weakness into strength uh, right. to to admit that they don't know everything even if they are uh, in a position of authority yes. uh, and to say hey wow, this is really stimulating. Uh, why don't I come back to you yes. with more? And then the process just keeps uh, benefiting uh, everybody, exactly. uh, as, as you said. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, let's uh, frame uh, a little bit the world economy around uh, energy, right? Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, a lot of people... Uh, think about uh, filling uh, their car at the gas pump and and buying uh, heating uh, oil for winter, paying the electricity bill, but they kind of stop there. They don't realize uh, that by definition, 100% of everything we do depends on the availability and reliability and density of the energy sources we use. Yeah. Um, so, you know, all this exploration of, you know, 10,000 years of humanity, disruptions at all level and so on, um, you know, essentially lead me to the idea that, um, which is not controversial, the universe is, you know, uh, energy, matter and information. I mean, that, that is the core of what the universe is. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting that that you talk about energy because, when we looked back for rethinking humanity um, at the, the sectors, what I call the five foundational sectors that have enabled civilizations uh, to essentially disrupt the existing civilizations and also rise, elevate to a higher order, to a more complex society. Um, you know, essentially the five foundational sectors um, were or are energy, transportation, um, you know, which also has an energy component, information, food, and materials. 
Um, now, these are not isolated, right? I mean, the, the more you get, you know, the better information you have, the more you can design, you know, food systems and, you know, better energy systems and so on. But every 10x in these five foundational sectors um, has led to a disruption in the existing, in existing civilizations, both to collapse and to breakthrough. So to breakthrough, you need energy, absolutely. You also need transportation, information, food, and materials, uh, all of which enable one another. Um, I am, uh, by the way, uh, leafing uh, through uh, your latest book um, that uh, uh, people can buy uh, on uh, uh, Amazon, yes. and, and they should, uh, because uh, uh, that helps uh, your work and, uh, and uh, everything you do. Uh, but um, at the same time, uh, while they are waiting for uh, the dead tree version to arrive, uh, they can also uh, download it uh, from your website because you made it very generously available. Uh, and and the content of the book is is really stimulating and and uh, thought provoking, but I also want to comment on uh, how beautiful uh, the book it is. Also, in terms of very clear charts, coherent use of uh, uh, colors and everything, it is really a pleasure to uh, to consult it because uh, too many. Um, authors don't realize that the cognitive load of the topics uh, yes. covered can be um, uh, made lighter by uh, the fundamental aid of, of clear uh, visual help and, and, and clear communication too. Yeah, thank um, you. A, a couple of, of comments, uh, Mark says, did you notice that Tesla is now larger than Axon? I think you did, Tony, didn't you? I sure did. Um, you know, in in and you know, in in 2010, I I, uh, I gave a talk in North Dakota, where uh, I essentially I said that the last internal combustion engine automobile would be built um, 2028, and and you know, essentially. Um, uh, oil was going to be disrupted and obsolete by 2030. Um, and um, more than that, so yeah, I mean, I kind of knew in the example that I used at the time for electric vehicles was Tesla. And Tesla, I mean, the insanity of what I said, right? I mean, like, like you said in the beginning, uh, uh, a lot of these things are not easy to conceptualize in the beginning. I mean, in in 2010, um, when I was saying this, the the IEA was saying that um, by 2040, um, EVs there would be like under 200 EVs sold, 200, not 200,000, 200 by 2040, right? Um, so it, it's not. I mean, these things are not linear necessarily. Um, and but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of knew where, where you know that that world is going, and especially in clean disruption. Where, um, yeah. um, 
uh, Ray Kurzweil is is another friend and uh, uh, an analyst and practitioner of exponential um, uh, trends, and and he's famous for showing how um, the big disruptions uh, in the world that the twentieth century experienced didn't derail the progress of, for example, which is one of the areas where he concentrates, uh, the compounding power of computation. Mm -hmm. That it didn't matter World War One, World War II, whatever was going on, the, the trend of computation would keep going. And 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 that is that is heartening. And and that teaches you uh, humbleness because as smart as you are, there are a lot of other people who are as smart or smarter than you, and you realize that you have to really hook up with all of them. And when you do, then really uh, things can uh, go ahead, and 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 everybody is is exhilarated by that uh, that feeling that uh, change is happening. Uh, in your opinion. If there was a universal disbelief in the success and 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 the ability to succeed of electric vehicles, yes, somebody like Elon Musk, who was contrarian enough to starting from first principles, say, "I don't need to listen to anybody." Yeah. I will just keep going and do what I think can work, and then ten years later and, and twelve years later, uh, be the, uh, the 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 largest uh, car company in the world by by market cap. Yeah. If he had an accident before starting Tesla, would we potentially be in a world where electric vehicles? become successful but five or ten years later than we see it or it would still have happened in the same rhythm and in the same kind of yearly projections that you you already were doing 10 years ago yeah um that's a great question right i mean how how, how uh you know are uh, do we human beings uh, how much power and choice do we have over the existing system, um, you know, my, my findings are that you know disruption at both a sector level, product level, and, and civilizational level, um, pretty much have the same kind of patterns. The patterns of change in human built systems, cities, civilizations, societies, um, sectors, and so on are, are pretty consistent um, throughout you know the ten last ten thousand years of history. Um, and they're kind of fractal too, that the same patterns of change that apply, you know, down at a product level uh, also apply, um, you know, at a sector and a societal and so on. And so what are those patterns? Um, you know, essentially we have, and, and, and you know, I'll, I'll start with, with uh, transportation, for instance. Um, we have a period of equilibrium um, and in, 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 you know, internal combustion engine, we had a hundred years. Right, where the basic architecture of the car and buses and so on, transportation, was the same. I mean, we, we haven't made any fundamental changes in transportation in, 
in 100 years. Uh, then there is, you, you have to look at the constant capabilities of not just one, but many technologies. And what enables disruptions, the 10x disruptions, um, essentially is a convergence of technologies. And what enabled the internal combustion engine automobile in the early 1900s was a similar conversion that made it happen. Steel got a lot cheaper. Um, gasoline got a lot cheaper. Um, rubber got a lot cheaper and more accessible. Um, so whereas, you know, we talk about um, Ford and the Ford Model T, um, all the factors that enabled that convergence were there. Somebody was going to make it happen, right? Uh, and, and, and so every time when there is that convergence, this is what happens. Um, a, a whole new possibility space opens up, both on the up and the down. Yeah, one of the reasons I made the question is yeah. because when we talk about clean energy, uh, yes. certainly we are not only talking about uh, how uh, nicer electric cars are, um, how uh, better certain business models around self-driving uh, electric car fleets uh, are going to be, but we are also talking about uh, climate change, uh, uh, abating and eliminating uh, the uh, uh, CO2 emissions that are disrupting climate. Yeah. And it is there where I wonder if a 10, 20, or 30-year uh, delay yeah. uh, can, can make a, a, a huge difference. If yeah. complex uh, systems are such that there can be thresholds yeah. of runaway changes um, and and um, that is that is why, and, and this is one of a, a favorite existential questions of mine. Yeah. While being modest is almost always wrong because it just tells you you shouldn't even try something. Yes. Being humble is almost always right because there are so many other people that are as smart as you, and you should yes. be doing those things together with them. Yes. The most mind-blowing thing is when sometimes, very, very rarely, but it is also true that you should be unhumble because what you are about to do, literally nobody else is crazy enough to attempt. Yeah. So if maybe yeah. the, 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 the Tesla thing yeah. is not one of those, the SpaceX Mars colonization yeah. thing could be uh, the, the 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 crazier. Yeah. Let's let's take a, a few more questions. Uh, yeah. There are uh, many, and and I want to take as many of them as possible. And I try to cluster them so that they fall into uh, uh, some of the themes that we are going to shortly touch upon as well. Mm -hmm. So um, let's uh, look at. Uh, Tego here, uh, who first of all says that he's happy to see that you are better. And then he's asking about uh, 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 hydrogen and, and whether hydrogen is going to play uh, a role that many investors believe. Um, and, 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 and obviously hydrogen is, is, is a wonderful element, except in hydrogen bombs. 
but uh, but hydrogen is is not an energy source really we look at hydro hydrogen as a as a as a as an alternative storage system um and and i don't think it is very convenient as a storage system it is right. a big hassle yeah. to have hydrogen around yeah so what 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 is your current uh, uh, yeah. look uh, uh, on it I agree. I mean, when, when I wrote Clean Disruption, I, I, I looked at hydrogen to see if, if hydrogen was disruptive, you know, if it was going to go anywhere and so on. And my conclusion was that, no, I mean, essentially, um, you know, hydrogen, it, yes, it's a source of, uh, basically, it's, it's storage, right? And so the question is, can hydrogen compete with, with batteries, especially lithium-ion batteries and, and, and what's coming, right? And the answer was no. Um, you know, hydrogen is a classic one-to-one um, -one substitution um, of, you know, basically folks are saying of natural gas for hydrogen, of, of, of you know, gasoline for hydrogen. Um, it's not really a disruption. I mean, it's, it's, you know, more political than anything. But if you look at purely at the economics, it doesn't make any sense. If you look at you know, the environmental aspects, it also doesn't make any sense, you know, because 95% of hydrogen comes from natural gas. But even if it came from water, um, the water use utilization, the resource utilization is just insane. I mean, from a water perspective, um, you know, basically it would be preferable to use gasoline than to use hydrogen. Um, and then you have to build this trillion-dollar infrastructure, right? Uh, which again, who's going to pay for it? Um, and 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 so no. and, and, and cer certainly um, people wouldn't think that hydrogen could completely uh, um, eliminate or replace battery electric vehicles. So we would have to build two infrastructures. One is what is already being built: uh, the, the the charger uh, um, network. Yes. Uh, whether Tesla's or anybody else's. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, if we think that hydrogen-powered uh, uh, vehicles are also going to be widespread, yeah. then that would be on top of the first. So, yeah. so the, the hydrogen infrastructure, think of it as more of the natural gas infrastructure, Yeah. right? You need big refineries, you need pipelines, um, you need gas stations, and so on. So it's a brand new infrastructure, right, at, at all levels. Um, whereas, you know, the electricity network, we have an electricity network. We're going to improve it, but we already have an electricity network, right? Uh, you know, the charging station, you just need to plug into the existing network. Um, so it, if you will, it's a marginal investment in, in the, you know, the existing um, network as opposed to a brand new, um, uh, you know, basically network. Um, and for, for all those reasons, I mean, I look at things from purely economic uh, reasons and, and for purely economic reasons, it, it's going to, you know, make no sense. And, you know, you're going to have the hype and you're going to have all of that. But, you know, you ask me if in 10 years um, we're going to have a mainstream hydrogen um, uh, infrastructure. My answer is an unqualified no. Perfect. Yeah. Um, now, let's go back to uh, rethink uh, uh, humanity. Yes. Um uh, and um, and 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 the book uh, and and report that uh, that you created, uh, rethinking humanity, rethinking the entire civilization, it's it's a big deal. Yeah. 
uh, and and uh, and the point is, it doesn't matter if Tony Seba says it. It's not that it will happen or not happen because Tony Seba says it. It is happening. So you are you are bringing it to the attention of of your readers, of your students, of the people who engage uh, uh, Rethink X, uh, your 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 consulting uh, platform. Uh, because you want to clarify what is going on. So yes. what is going on? Yeah, so just to clarify, Rethink X is a think tank. It's a nonprofit independent think tank, um, not a consulting outfit or anything like that. Um, you know, what we're doing is for humanity. I mean, it, it's not for profit at all. Um, but, you know, I mean, we, I've looked at technology disruptions, like I said, over the last 10, 15 years. And what I wanted to build was a way to understand and anticipate technology disruptions. And I started doing that at the sector level, energy first, and then transportation, then food. And the idea with those um, uh, was that I, I, I would, basically the important thing is to understand how disruptions happen, the patterns of change, and in so doing, I mean, it turned out that um, uh, all of these disruptions were pointing at the 2020s, essentially the five foundational sectors, uh, energy, transportation, food, information, and materials were going to be disrupted from 2020 to 2030. Um, and that has never happened in history before. So what we did what Jamie Arbib, the co-founder of RethinkX, with me, and I did was, um, you know, this was very obvious, um, you know, as soon as three, four years ago. Um, and uh, the question was, what does this mean, right? That all of these disruptions are happening within a decade at the same time, and they're going to compound one another. So that's why we looked at. 10,000 years of civilization um, from the, you know, city, from the rise of cities and agriculture 10,000 years ago through the, 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 the leading civilizations up to now. Um, and the findings were, uh, you know, if you will, astonishing um, that disruptions at the civilization level have the same patterns as disruptions at a sector level. So that was great. There is simplicity in the complexity of civilization, of society. So simplicity drives complexity. So that's good, right? We understood those patterns. And here's what we also found out, um, that every time that there's been 10x disruptions in the five foundational sectors, there has been a civilizational disruption. Essentially, the existing civilizations, whether it's Sumer or Egypt or Rome and so on, have collapsed. We've had, you know, hundreds of years of dark ages. And then another civilization from the edge has essentially taken these five foundational, you know, these 10 X's um, and has risen to be the world leader. Now, it's not about technology alone, and that's one of the essential insights. 
that organizing systems are every bit as important as technology. So technology is the main driver of human progress, but without the co-evolution of organizing systems, without new governance systems, without new rules, without new belief systems and ways of looking at the world, you're not gonna make it um, as a leading civilization. Um, so we came back to the 2020s, right? Yes, Mr. Harry Seldon. Tell me how we can please avoid uh, the dark uh, ages because uh, I like everything you say except that. Yes. Um, so, you know, I mean, basically uh, the, 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 the five, the, the order, the industrial order, which has lasted maybe four or 500 years, depending on how you see it, um, you know, basically it's at the edge. It's, it's on the edge of collapse, right? And we see that every day. Now, my work is not specifically about collapse, but we see all the pointers. Um, the system has already ruptured. Um, and, and, and so the history would point to a collapse. But for the first time in history, um, we have the possibility of taking these disruptions of foresight, that we can see these disruptions happening um, and the possibility that we can essentially elevate humanity to the next uh, stage without having to go through the dark ages. Um, and what that means is, you know, we have to start today. I mean, the first step is to uh, basically see where we are today and see where we're going, right? Um, so that I, you know, I'm very comfortable with where technology is going to take us, where the production system, with the idea that energy is going to be 10x cheaper in 10, 15 years, where food's going to be 10x cheaper, materials and uh, 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 you know, information and so on. Um, but technology alone does not take you to that higher order of civilization. You need to co-evolve the organizing system. And that is the challenge that we have today. Um, um, so um, you mentioned uh, food as, as one of the fundamental sectors. Yes. And both uh, uh, Alex uh, Lightman uh, is asking uh, um, why you switched uh, from talking about clean energy disruption alone uh, to, to new food uh, supply. Uh, as well as uh, we have a question uh, from uh, from from Ramses, um, who is uh, referring to also the food sector disruption and asking about PF. I have no yes. idea what PF is, but precision fermentation. Yes. Yeah. Oh, precision farming. Yeah. Uh, okay. yeah. So 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 uh, food matters. We cannot live without it. And and uh, plentiful calories matter. Uh, it is with plentiful calories that uh, we can dedicate ourselves to live streaming and to uh, uh, creativity and to ingenuity and nurturing talent uh, among eight billion people in the world and soon yeah. nine. Um, and and uh, the uh, doomsday predictions of the Club of Rome from the sixties uh, uh, didn't come true. They right. said that when they published uh, the the Club of Rome report, and I and I uh, was lucky enough to meet uh, one of the the authors. Uh, 
was that by the 80s, we would have uh, uh, worldwide famine uh, causing billions of people dying. And, and the so-called Green Revolution stopped that from happening. So, so what is going to happen with, uh, with food over the course of the next uh, 10 years? Yeah, so there's going to be a dramatic shift. Uh, basically, you know, we call this the second domestication of plants and animals. So over the last 10,000 years, essentially, the, the, our food system has been based on, you know, a handful of crops and a handful of, of livestock, you know, cows and pigs and chicken and, and, and so on. Um, and, you know, essentially, the last 10,000 years uh, have been about getting more from agricultural land, getting more yield uh, from from animals and and so on, um, and you know we're we're at the limit uh, of that system, um, and and you know the beauty of what we have seen with technology is that now we can um, essentially produce any uh, food that you want, proteins especially, which is where I focused my study on. Um, from microorganism, I mean, from yeast. And this is the way that, you know, we have produced, for instance, insulin uh, since the 1980s. This is the way that uh, rennet, um, which is an enzyme that we use to produce 90% of the cheese in the West. They all come from what we call precision fermentation. Essentially, you take a microorganism, um, yeast, bacteria, and so on, um, you change the digestive system, if you will, um, with you know synthetic biology and so on, so that it can produce the molecules that you want. So we can produce any protein that we want in essentially a fermentation tank, brewing. Think about beer, and that's the way that we're going to produce essentially all the food in the world within 10, 15 years. Sorry, I got distracted. I am thinking about beer now. Yes, I mean, and, and you know, who doesn't like no, beer? Please right? go ahead, but that was a, a Homerian moment, uh, like yeah. Homer Simpson, not Homer the author. <laughs> um, so proteins, right? Uh, talk about proteins. Uh, milk, for instance, uh, you you know, you, you raise a cow, you, you need, you know, millions of acres for, for these cows to produce protein. Uh, I mean, milk, and yet, um, 3% of milk is proteins. The rest is water and sugar and so on and so forth. So the valuable part of, of milk, you know, from a, both from a, from a market perspective and, and from a, you know, people perspective, is, is that 3%. So essentially, um, the industry just needs to disrupt that 3% of milk, right? Which is the proteins, casein and whey. It turns out that... Um, there are companies already producing casein and whey um, via precision fermentation, essentially brewing them. So you genetically modify yeast or bacteria, they produce the proteins in a fermentation tank. Um, and, you know, I've already eaten, um, you know, ice cream made uh, with this protein. It's every bit exactly the same. I could not tell one from another now yeah i i did too unfortunately i don't like sweet stuff so i would have wanted it to be garlicky or or hot chili peppery you, but it was sweet so you, you can do that right of course I mean, that's what i told them hey go crazy with any yeah. kind of uh, variety so you know the thing why precision fermentation and why now 
the cost of essentially producing a kilo of protein via precision fermentation went from a million dollars in the year 2000 to about $100 in 2019. Now, why is this important? It's going to be at about $10 by about 2024 or 5. And at that point, it's going to reach parity, price parity, with animal proteins, even plant proteins. By 2030, precision fermentation proteins will be five times cheaper than uh, animal proteins. Essentially, it's a no-brainer that the world is going to go there, right? Because they're cleaner, they're locally made, um, and also you can make millions of different types of, I mean, you, you, don't, you, you know, it's not just casein and whey, it's human milk, it's, um, you know, any of millions or billions of proteins in nature. And, and, and the key really is that once it is cheaper, the economic pressure yes. uh, will be unstoppable because people want to make a profit and they can sell yeah. profitably a yeah. larger variety of healthier products yes. Uh, yes. and more cheaply than yeah. not uh, the traditional alternatives exactly. that are destroying the environment. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that, that, that is going to happen, as you said, for purely economic reasons. Um, and the side effect will be that, you know, we're going to have, you know, 25% of the landmass of the United States is going to open up, right? That is used now for uh, uh, cow agriculture and so on. Um, so, so we are going to solve, you know, poverty and so on. And as a side effect, we're going to solve climate and so on. That's right, and and Sergey is 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 asking that uh, if uh, the oh sorry that was another one. Uh, there you go. Jackson is asking uh, if uh, uh, the cumulative effect of all of this uh, is that uh, uh, we are going to be able to to be on track uh, with the Paris Accord targets. Yeah, we're we're actually technology is taking us there a lot faster. Than the Paris Accord. I mean, Paris Accord is it's fairly conservative, actually. Um, I mean, you know, my numbers indicate clearly that by 2030, um, you know, it's a it's the only source of energy uh, that that is going to to make any sense is going to be solar and wind with batteries. Um, nothing else is going to make any sense. In fact, any conventional plant that you build today is already stranded. Any. It um, doesn't matter what it is, nukes, gas, coal, it doesn't matter. It's already stranded. Um, so solar, wind with batteries, um, and then you have, of course, electric vehicles, which we still have not plugged into, you know, essentially transportation is going to be electric on demand and autonomous. Um, and that's going to happen within, within 10 years. And nothing else is going to make any economic sense. And of course, food uh, via precision fermentation is going to be a lot cheaper. So if all you do is take disruptions in these three sectors, energy, transport, um, and food, um, you know, just about two thirds of all emissions are gone by 2030. And, you know, it's not going to cost us money. We're going to get money back. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of uh, the economy 
uh, is a measure of the inefficiency of the processes that we use. And that inefficiency puts a ceiling on our ambitions. Yes. And by unlocking new technologies, we make uh, uh, the economy more efficient. And a lot of people then go and say, oh my God, jobs are gonna disappear and, and uh, we're all gonna be poorer. No. Exactly because you eliminate that ceiling that kept uh, the economy uh, uh, pressed down uh, and there is no upper limit to, to human ingenuity and, and, uh, and ambition, that is why uh, we will unlock uh, a new opportunity, new wealth uh, and, and uh, uh, benefit uh, everybody through the democratization of all these forces. Unless regulators are crazy enough to uh, throw away the baby with the bathwater because, and, and I had personal experience in this, sometimes that is possible, at least for some amount of time. And then the unstoppable changes uh, get uh, uh, so much tension, unresolved tension in the yes. system that something breaks. Yes. However, in the meantime, a lot of damage can be done. My example is in uh, in the blockchain and cryptocurrencies, where uh, the U.S. regulators um, have flipped from their official mandate of protecting the public uh, against uh, fraud and, and scams and whatever else to protecting the incumbent financial system, and and they have successfully implemented through action and inaction um, a, a, a situation where after 100 years of being in the avant-garde of financial innovation, now the U.S. is clearly in the rear guard. Correct. You know, just like in the, in the 90s, Europeans were laughing at U.S. mobile phones, uh, and, and rightly so, a, a, until the iPhone came, and, and Europeans are not laughing, especially Nokia now. That's right. uh, but uh, but uh, similarly, uh, the world is laughing about how the U.S. banking system is still using paper checks so much, and that the biggest innovation is in the U.S. banking system is that your banking app now allows you to take a photo of the paper check that you received to be paid and you can deposit the check with your mobile phone. Wow, what an innovation, amazing innovation. And in the meantime, the cost of setting up and running a, a, a crypto company in New York State is, is insurmountable. You know, the, the, the companies not only leave uh, New York State, but actually put up uh, uh, filters so yeah. you connect to, to their homepage from the state of New York they say sorry you are located in a prohibited region of the world we don't want to have anything to do with you right so is it possible that that uh, uh, incumbents could successfully lobby uh, the US government or other governments to slow down if not even stop uh, what what is happening and create enormous damage in in the process? So that they 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 can certainly uh, 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 slow it down or even stop it in the U.S., but not worldwide. I mean, all of these technologies um, that are going to converge in the 20s are global. 
you know, electric vehicles, batteries, solar, blockchain, they're all global technologies. Um, and, and so um, someone somewhere is going to put all of this together and they're the ones, you know, if history is any indication, they're the ones who are gonna emerge as the next civilizational leader. Um, uh, every joy is wondering whether the US has become too inflexible to be this, or yeah. at least DC. Yeah. And could California or San Francisco be uh, the center of innovation? Yeah. And and I and I wonder from a geopolitical point of view whether a lot of China bashing comes from the existential anguish of not being able to embrace innovation to the degree that the Chinese are, whether it is in artificial intelligence or central bank digital currencies, which they are already yeah. uh, testing on hundreds of millions of people, or yeah. the deployment of electric vehicles or, yeah. or maglev trains. I mean, the Chinese are dreaming big. Yes. And, and they are doing things that the US has no problem doing if only it wanted them to happen. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be able to dream. Yeah. So, you know, th this is classic, uh, you know, incumbent baggage, right? Uh, in, 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 you know, in, in times of, of traumatic innovation and, and, you know, system change and, and so on, which is what we're seeing now, um, you know, it doubles down on the, um, the organizing system and the production systems that led it to be successful. So, you know, all of these, uh, you know, centralization and extraction and so on were what led us to you know, succeed in the first place and, and become, you know, the world's uh, uh, preeminent economy and power and so on. But the things that were assets are now liabilities. And in times like these, um, essentially, when we're out of equilibrium, the system you know, predictably tends to double down on itself, becoming more centralized. You know, walls, walls go up, you know, more religion. Uh, and, and, and so what happens is exactly what you're saying. Um, centralization is the opposite of what we need. Um, and, and so if history, again, is any indication, the U.S. is not going to dominate um, the next world order. Um, just like Rome did not dominate the next world order, and so on and so forth. Um, and somebody from the edge, or by the way, and, and this may not be intuitively obvious, it may not be even China, right? Because, I mean, China, in terms of production system, electric vehicles, solar, uh, batteries, uh, wind, and, and so on, are the world's leader in terms of production system. But to emerge as the next world leader, uh, the next civilizational leader, you need to co-evolve your organizing system. So it's not going to be just, um, you know, electric vehicles and solar and blockchain and so on. You need to have a new way to organize society. I mean, that's what Europe did in the, you know, 1500s, 1600s. That's what America did, you know, in the late 1800s and so on, which is why Europe emerged, which is why America emerged. Um, but for the next one to emerge, we need a new organizing system. Uh, and and uh, do you think that the nation state is still the optimal unit in order for that to happen? Uh, is uh, a geographically defined um, 
proximity necessary still in order to organize uh, uh, energy resources talent and and ability to to uh, create uh, because um, for for uh, you know uh, thousands of years uh, the nation state was not the defining uh, factor yeah uh, and and so it is not a, a natural law that uh, it be and yeah. and it could be the case that uh, the next phase of civilization would be hindered by the uh, insistence of the nation state to dominate yes. uh, and especially hold thousands of nuclear weapons yes no, the, the, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, the nation state, state is a human construct, and it's a recent one at that. I mean, it only emerged in the industrial order, right, over the last few hundred years. Um, and, and that was an adaptation to the industrial mode of production. And that was the right adaptation for that mode of production. But, you know, in what's coming, in what we call the age of creation, we're going to have... Um, all of these 10x disruptions, they're going to be creative. We're going to, you know, have solar, um, food, uh, everything will be essentially produced locally. Regions and cities are going to be essentially autonomous for all the things that we need. We're going to be globally connected via information networks. Um, but in terms of the flow of materials, materials are going to go down by 10x. Um, so all of the assumptions the leading, are, the leading areas uh, could uh, uh, emerge from from those nations that are not excessively worried about uh, fragmentation. Uh, the more authoritarian and possessive of those nations that say, um, "Sorry, uh, you city X have too much autonomy. I need to clamp down on you now because otherwise." Uh, the, the sacred unity of the nation is imperiled uh, are going to be at a disadvantage. Now, that is interesting because uh, there are, you know, more or less crazy attempts to have California secede uh, from, from the U.S. Um, China demonstrated that it is able to carry out decades-long uh, experiments with uh, Shanghai and Shenzhen that are enormously successful, that operate uh, and then contaminate the rest of mainland, even though now uh, it is uh, on the other end of the swing of the pendulum with Hong Kong being brought in so that uh, not too much of that experimentation should happen. But... The, one of the, the, the most recent examples of the self-confidence of a superstructure to allow one of its members to leave is represented by the European Union, where, where basically the EU said, we think is a big mistake, but if you really want to leave United Kingdom, you can. Yeah. And there is no blood flowing on the streets of London. There is nobody fighting a war in order to keep the UK inside the EU. So, so that is an interesting dynamic where the, the self-assured nature of the Lisbon Treaty that made it possible for Brexit to happen could be an indicator of a future-proof governance system. So what we're going to need going forward is actually the opposite of centralization. I, I 
you know, the organizing system, the, 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 the age of freedom is not going to be what it is now. It's not going to be a linear extrapolation and it's going to emerge. The production system, we kind of know, we can predict where it's going, but not the organizing system. That needs to be allowed to emerge. And that means exactly what you're saying, which is we need to allow for local experimentation. And, and exper experimentation means a lot of things um, that, that, you know, the things that we consider sacred, nation state, political democracy, you know, private property, capitalism, and so on, they don't have to be, right? I mean, what comes out on the other end in 15 years may contain bits and pieces of these, but they may not, right? Um, so California could emerge as the next, uh, you know, civilization and world power if Washington allows us to experiment, That's right? right? That's Seattle right. could emerge, um, you know, Shanghai could emerge if Beijing allows them to experiment. And not just them. I mean, we need a thousand cities and regions to experiment and copy paste from one another as soon as we discover something that works. I, I, I don't know the, the status right now, but a few years ago, uh, Bloomberg uh, started um, an organization connecting the uh, 40 largest uh, cities in the world recognizing that they had uh, more similarity among themselves, regardless of uh, the country they belonged to, than with the central government that uh, uh, controlled them. Yes. And, and, and this is a, a, an interesting way of uh, thinking uh, about uh, the, the ability of uh, these networks uh, to, to organize. Yeah, I, you know, I think that the, the next day, the age of freedom is, is going to mean the, the end of geography. Um, yeah, it's the end of geography as a source of competitive advantage. It's the end of geography as you know the the, the core of the nation state and uh, uh, you know of the geopolitical units and and so on and so forth. Uh, you know that's coming very soon. Um, uh, there are a couple of questions that are similar, uh, uh, um, provocative towards uh, your predictions. Uh, uh, Alex Lightman is asking, um, are we still in? Uh, on track uh, with a 90% reduction in the number of cars produced by 2030. Uh, and Andy Campbell is uh, making a similar remark uh, uh, about autonomous vehicles. Yeah. Uh, if um, you are really on track with your predictions or maybe you are, you are wrong. Yeah. So uh, several questions there, right. Um, and, and, you know, um, it's interesting uh, that, that that a lot of folks consider, you know, uh, Twitter or or you know mainstream media and so on as a leading indicator of where technology, you know, of real technology progress. Right? Um, you, you need to look at the actual technology. Uh, how quickly is that improving? Uh, and if you look at data from Tesla, um, Tesla electric vehicles when they're on autopilot are already six to nine times safer than human drivers already. Now, it doesn't mean that they're six to nine times uh, safer in all conditions, right? But they are already. Now, I predicted this, right? I said that by 2020, there would be five times safer, right? A Tesla with autopilot. Um, so 
you know, essentially uh, uh, look at the, the progress, how quickly those technologies are, are, are uh, evolving or actually accelerating. And by 2030, yeah, I mean, by 2030, um, we will not only not have human drivers, um, you know, it's going to happen for purely economic reasons. Um, essentially, the cost of insurance is going to be so high for human drivers that that's going to be prohibitive. Um, and every 10x, again, has enabled a disruption. So the disruption in electric vehicles, um, you know, and this is one of the brilliant things about, uh, you know, Elon Musk, right, is that he understood that these are computers on wheels, um, that, you know, it's not just, you know, the improvement in batteries, although that's important, um, but it's the fact that it's the convergence, that the disruption of on-demand, autonomous, and electric, right, the three of them. Um, and that's why they have invested so much in, in autonomous driving and so on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that at this point, even General Motors is saying that by all means, within the next five years, we're going to have autonomous technology. And, you know, whether it happens in level four in 2022 or five is pretty irrelevant in terms of 2030. It means that the adoption curve is going to be steeper um, mm -hmm. because, you know, the cost is going to be 10x cheaper. For, yeah. for this type of transportation. Yeah, so, one, one of the examples that I love to, to give is uh, um, a, a little echo developed uh, right now. Let's hope uh, it goes away. Yeah, it did. Cool. Hmm. Software uh, is, is, is to say, whatever this is, um, there is no means for this to be economically transported at any distance today. Uh, well, no, I can bring it to my wife, the next room. I can do that. Mm. But if I want to bring it to uh, to the other side of the uh, uh, of the city, this must be a legal contract uh, that needs a wet signature. That is the only reason I would pay thirty dollars for a courier to bring it to the other side of the city. Right. But with a, a, a purposefully designed autonomous electric transportation vehicle this could be a piece of garbage that rather than being thrown away is lovingly collected and recognized by robotic uh, uh, assagers that attribute it to uh, attribute to it um, uh, value to the point that my house supports itself financially through the garbage that it generates, including the fact that gold already is more plentiful in our devices than not in the mines that we are still using in order to get it. <laughs> and, and so uh, there are really incredible new business models that will emerge yes. from the fact that, that a self-driving electric car, yeah. just like um, the horseless carriages, Yes. free themselves from the design constraint of the horse yes self-driving uh, electric car frees itself from the design constraint of having to contain a human body correct so yeah. a complete new design uh universes are uh becoming available as a consequence absolutely and and, and the, yeah yeah uh, you know the, all the possibility space is going to be 
I mean, huge, right? Uh, and it's not just one thing. I mean, in the mainstream narrative, you still see the you know one-to-one -one substitution. I mean, individual owners are going to buy a new EV, right? And everything else is going to be equal. But yeah. you know, systems change don't happen like that. I mean, we we didn't go from horse to car, and nothing else changed, right? Everything changed. Cities changed. Society changed. Thinking changed. Everything changed, right? Um, and that's the same thing that's going to happen in the dis disruption of transportation and food and, and energy and so on. And, and, and these are uh, all exponential. Yes. I, I was part of the group that designed the Singularity University 12 years ago where we are knee-deep in exponentials. Yes. But, uh, but when you compound exponentials, you obtain a super exponential. Yes. And I call them jolting technologies. Uh, the jolt... Uh, is the first derivative of acceleration. And uh, 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 when we look at how um, uh, a rocket takes off that consumes the fuel propelling it, and with the engine at full throttle, it is able to increase its acceleration, that is already what is happening in many sectors. Uh, Stanford University published data then uh, further analyzed by OpenAI that uh, says, hey, Moore's law was applying to AI compute up to 2012, but rather than doubling every two years, since then we are seeing a doubling of every three months. Yeah. Instead of having a 30-fold increase yeah. in the power of AI from 2012, we achieved a 300,000-fold increase in the power of AI. Yes. Now, I object to that analysis in the sense that it is too, um, uh, is, is not aggressive enough. We are not talking about two eras. We are, about, we are talking about the uh, increasing rate of acceleration. We are talking about the jolting in the compute usage uh, of, of AI. Yes. And, and the reason why that is important is because it leads you to understand that there will be a further increase in the acceleration. And that will come through um, specialized AI uh, chips, and it will come in mind-boggling terms via quantum computers applied to uh, AI problem sets, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So this is a paradigm that I am now uh, promoting through uh, various uh, uh, ways. I have a seminar series as well uh, on it, uh, and 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 publish uh, videos uh, uh, on on uh, on YouTube. Duh. And uh, yeah, and uh, and it is it is fun uh, because um, it, it is great to to see people. Uh, like our viewers who get excited about the power of yeah. understanding yes. because then they have a, a, yes. a, a, a way of recognizing patterns yes. that were opaque, that were even worse, obfuscated by yes. wrong narratives. Uh, and, and it just becomes so clear that they can then start and act on it. Now, we will not go as far as uh, Bjork would 
want us to tell him what company in precision fermentation he should invest in. Yeah. That is going too far. We are not a stock picking uh, show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So investment advisors, right? Um, that's right. Uh, yeah. he, he will have to do his own uh, research yeah. and make his own decisions, but the opportunities are plentiful. So, uh, but let, let me, I'm sorry to interrupt, David, because, you, you know, um, rather than think companies, which is a more of a short-term thing, um, you know, if you think about the wave, right, about, about the sector and so on, um, you know, you can, uh, in, instead of, you know, gambling every day in the stock market, which, you know, a lot of people do and whatever, um, sectors give you the ability to do that. I mean, uh, you know, example, 15 years ago when I wrote, you know, a book called Winners Take All, I published a portfolio and that was about the the, the information disruption, right? Um, you know, Google, and this is 2006, Google and 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 um, um, and and um, Facebook and Apple and and so on and Cisco and so on. And if you look at that stock, I mean, I just left it, right? I mean, all I wanted was a way to track whether what I said made any sense going forward, uh, because I wanted the ability to predict. Um, and that's that stock is you know up twenty five hundred percent, right? which is 10 times better than the market, right? So you can, if you can figure out at least, you know, a sector where the sector is going, direction, magnitude, speed of change, you know, that's a big thing, right? Um, and, and going forward, it, it can help you with that. But, but yeah, we don't give investment advice. So, so Seb de Bjork, uh, I think this is a great provocation. You should do the research and then publish a table of uh, uh, precision fermentation companies that could constitute a portfolio uh, where it doesn't matter if one of them doesn't uh, succeed, uh, the others will. And then uh, in 10 years time, we can look at it and uh, see that you were right. <laughs> yeah, let, let's, you know, let's have a conversation. I mean, not about investment. Uh, I mean, the, the reason that I published Rethinking Humanity is that I wanted to start a conversation, right? Uh, at Rethink X, we want to start a conversation. We, you know, we believe that this is the way the world is going. Um, uh, you know, on the technology front, but you know, on the organizing system, we need to have a worldwide conversation, like you say, with people who are smarter than we are, uh, to help us to experiment with new ways of governance and and thinking and so on. Um, that will help us, you know, create an organizing system that uh, co-evolves with with the new production system. So let's have a conversation. And and uh, that's what we had. Uh, and I am very very grateful for your uh, generosity, uh, uh, your uh, time, and uh, the uh, the availability to answer the the questions from uh, our wonderful uh, audience. Uh, and uh, I am really looking forward to to continue uh, the conversation as well. Um, at uh, Network Society, uh, my think tank, uh, which is based in London, we believe that decentralization uh, is uh, unavoidably coming. 
we actually look at eight things, not five things, but hey, it's it's uh, what, what matters. Yeah. What matters is that is that these trends uh, should be understood, supported, and they should be applied so that they help inclusively uh, to empower and to enfranchise uh, the people on on this planet and other planets uh, soon. <laughs> yeah, and and that's a great point, right? I mean, we need to protect people. I mean, you, you know, th this decade is going to be incredibly. I mean, we're going to see a lot of instability, right? Uh, we need to protect people. We need, you know, social protection because there are going to be so many changes in, you know, production system and, you know, so many disruptions, right, at all levels uh, that we need to give people social stability so that we can experiment with production and, and organizing systems and so on. So protect People, not companies, protect people, not industries. Uh, and and uh, that is especially important in the U.S., uh, where the social contract uh, appears to be that your value to the society is equal to your economic output as an individual. And when that goes to zero, because, for example, you are unemployed, you can go and die in a ditch. And that is... Uh, fairly extreme example of social Darwinism that works when things go well, but when things uh, are extremely uneven and unpredictable, chaotic, through um, disruptions that come from multiple fronts, uh, it can really lead to, uh, to a degree of social disruption uh, where some of these complex systems cannot be easily put back together once they break. That's correct. Yeah. So, so, uh, so there is a very selfish re re reason for the U.S. to uh, shift its mindset towards being more um, supportive uh, for for individuals is a reason of self-preservation. Because yeah. if it is not supporting individuals, individuals sooner or later will say, "You are a figment of my imagination. Your purpose." <laughs> ceased to exist because you have proven not to care about me so uh it is it is really important yeah yeah we 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 called you know the last ten thousand years the age of extraction right uh for a good reason i mean it it was you know a time to extract from nature extract from people right extract labor extract you know molecules from from nature mining and agriculture and so on and so forth um and and you know the, the next day and and part of that is a winner take all kind of you know exploitative competitive model, um, which is the total opposite of what we're going to need going forward. We, you know, basically we're on the cusp of the age of freedom, uh, where all our basic needs can be met very cheaply and easily. Um, and 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 so what was an asset is turning out to be a liability. Right, mm -hmm. um, uh, especially as you say in the United States, mm -hmm. but also around the world. And uh, and uh, um, freedom is is uh, an interesting uh, quantity or an interesting uh, um, component of one's uh, life. Uh, in the U.S., especially, it's everything's free: freedom here, freedom there. Uh, but when you go and look in practice. 
too much is at the surface and very little uh, uh, is at the at the substance of of uh, how to uh, promote uh, human well-being yes. and uh, and um, a, a great example of uh, how hard uh, freedom is uh, comes from german unification when uh, the uh, life expectation of males in uh, the former East German territory declined after unification. And the analysis is that they were unprepared and unable to cope with increased responsibilities that the absence of a, uh, an all-deciding overseeing uh, state um, implied their lives were uh, completely defined before and after everything was in their own hands but they were not uh, ready to take advantage of that and alcoholism depression and suicide and and uh, all kinds of uh, social ills um, uh, were statistically uh, provably shortening uh, the lives of 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 many many people so uh, the, the 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 change in mentality uh, on the side of individuals is going to be as important as before there are many sectors the school system for example today is almost everywhere in the world is oriented towards um uh, the 19th uh, century paradigm of producing obedient uh, workers uh, in the farming sector, uh, as demonstrated by the uh, summer recess, when all the students have to go and 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 cut the wheat and 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 uh, get get the corn ready for winter. Yes, uh, and and uh, that is not what we should uh, show young people what their yes. life is about: uh, uh, nurturing their creativity, nurturing their uh, ability. Uh, to to define uh, new exciting goals is what school should be and it almost never is yes agreed agreed the 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 idea the industrial you know model of you know someone standing up there imparting you know knowledge and everybody else absorbing is 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 you know it works for the industrial order but it's not working now and it's not certainly going to work going forward Agreed. So I am I am very much looking forward uh, to uh, uh, following uh, uh, the the various conversations uh, that uh, rethink X and rethinking humanity is going to ignite Thank and uh, catalyze and uh, I am uh, going to to try and contribute in my own ways uh, to it and in the meantime I I thank you very much for having been a guest uh, on the show today. It's my pleasure, and I hope that um, you can be part of Rethinking Humanity 2.0. Uh, and we'll talk. Thank you, David. Thank you. So uh, thanks uh, very much to Tony Seba for having shared his uh, wisdom uh, with us. Uh, and uh, once again, I, I want to uh, really stress uh, the point that he's extremely generous in sharing all of this uh, you have incredibly valuable resources on uh, uh, rethinkx.com and and you want to go there download all that stuff read it absorb it 
because uh, it is consequential uh, to your life, not to the life of your children or grandchildren, to your life as it is happening today and tomorrow and over the course of some very, very short years that is going to be um, important for the future of, uh, of humanity overall. So thank you very much for being a part of uh, searching for the question live today for your numerous uh, questions. And uh, I will uh, see you uh, in the next episode uh, shortly. Thank you.